It shows that though Documenta tried to sort of present itself as this culturally liberal project of renewal, it actually had a very narrow and specific way of looking at the past and looking at the present. Hi, I'm Julia Halperin, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. How much can an art show do? That's a question at the heart of Documenta, the sprawling exhibition that touches down in Castle, Germany every five years. Sometimes called a museum in a hundred days, the show regularly draws millions of visitors from around the world. But it is far from a neutral celebration of contemporary art. Founded in 1955, Documenta was conceived as a way to regenerate Castle, which was still in ruins after World War II. But it had broader political aims too to project West Germany's alliance with liberal values and help spread those values to nearby East Germany during the Cold War. Since its inception, Documenta has melded art and politics perhaps more than any other art exhibition in history. So it's not surprising that that history has been marked by controversy. From hidden Nazi ties to funding crises, the show has stirred up debate after debate after debate. This year is no different. Before the show even opened, its curators, the Indonesian art collective Ruangrupa, faced allegations of anti-Semitism because of the political affiliations of some of the artists included in the show. When the 15th Documenta finally does open next week, it will present the work of more than 50 artists and collectives from around the world. I sat down with Europe editor Kate Brown before she gets on a train to Castle to explore this essential show's turbulent history and perhaps even more turbulent present. Kate Brown, thank you for joining us on The Art Angle from Thunderstormy Berlin. Yeah, nice to be on The Art Angle again with you, Julia. So let's start with the basics. What is Documenta? Well, let me first say that Documenta is probably by now one of the most researched and thought about exhibitions out there. And I don't just mean the research that goes into the show itself only. I really mean this very question that you just asked, what is Documenta? There's an archive with full-time staff and there's exhibitions and symposiums that are like really focused on this very question. So I think right off the bat that we can say that this is a very unique show in that way. But on a purely factual basis, it's a world-class art exhibition that takes place every five years in Kassel, which is a city in Germany. And it's been dubbed the Museum of 100 Days. So it's only on view every five years for a period of 100 days. And in general, ever since it was founded in 1955, it's been a true catalyst and a conversation maker in the art world. So even though it's much younger than the Venice Biennial's main exhibition, reputationally, it's on par or even has a bit more rigor. And it's visited, yeah, by half a million people each time it opens on average. So it's actually more than Venice. And to answer the question like more deeply, like what it really kind of is, I think you need to talk about where it started and the war. Because Documenta was founded in post-war Germany in 1955. And when Germany had finally lost the war, it lost it really badly, right? So its most beautiful cities, Cologne, Dresden, and Berlin, were terribly, terribly bombed. And Kassel, which is a small city in the center of the country, was also flattened because it was this industrial military center. And so this is kind of where we set the scene for the inaugural Documenta. It's here, like literally in the ashes of World War II, when the country is really reeling in a state of trauma and flux. And it was quite a public moment. It was at this Frederick Museum, which is the main museum there. And it was still largely like a pile of rubble. 
was founded by this man called Arnold Bode, and he led the first few documentas before it became this kind of changing carousel of curators, every edition and like up to what we know it as now. A few years before the first edition of Documenta in 1955, the former West German president, Theodor Heuss, said, you can't make culture with politics, but maybe you can make politics with culture. How exactly was Documenta conceived to create political change through culture? It seems to me that Documenta has always been about culture and politics and the future, and maybe because it had to be, you know, when you think about the way in which it was founded in this sort of ruin of World War II, it was not only about the presence, it was really about the future presence and sort of finding what could be next for this country, which is, you know, inherently political. And as many will know, there was a lot of art during World War II that the Nazis labeled as degenerate, a lot of artists that they had persecuted. So when Documenta was founded, it had actually focused on this modern art, art from the Weimar Republic, and some of these degenerate artists, air quotes, were the focus of this first exhibition in 1955. So you had painters like Max Beckman, Marc Chagall, and Otto Dix, for example. So right away, the message of the show was really political. How could it not be? And those first exhibitions really did seem to want to show that Germany was capable of renewal of a pro-democratic future and of culturally liberal values, all those things that had been locked out in the Second World War. But it also wanted to show that it had its integrity somehow still intact, or at least it could be repaired. So I think it was a very sober show and a very triumphant show, but also, you know, a show that was sort of about the German identity and ego in some ways. And I do think that political responsibility has underpinned it ever since then. There was also a second political aspect that's quite important. You know, after the war, Germany had no government. And so as we all know, it was eventually divided into an East and West split up country. This matters because Documenta was a West German endeavor. So you really need to look no further than Castle again. I think the city has a lot of answers for us. It was the last major town in Western Germany before you would enter into the Soviet-controlled zone of the country. So this was a very political decision to have it there. They could broadcast their artistic views to the East. How aware were they of what was going on on the other side, just over the wall and castle? They were definitely aware. I think in some documentas, some East German artists were even included or they were invited, but then they didn't go. There was also, I think, an exhibition proposal to do a documenta in East Germany. So like it was the Cold War times where there was still some dialogue between the countries, which of course just became more and more isolated over the years. And so you're describing this exhibition that has really grand political ambitions to broadcast Germany's new values, both to the world and just over the Iron Curtain into East Germany. Did that work? How long did it take for Documenta to establish itself on the global stage? And did it succeed in shifting Germany's reputation in any way? I think that it did. It was a smaller show than it is now, but seemed to be immediately influential in a conversation starter. In terms of audience numbers, like 130,000 to 200,000 people went each time to those first three shows, which strikes me as quite a lot in a country that's still repairing itself after the war. And it was supported by the West German government right away and patroned by high up officials. And it exhibited huge artists of the moment. Of course, it had strong connections to America, naturally. And there was a lot of big American artists coming over there. So it was really defining the cultural epochs of the West at that time. Like they championed abstract art and pop art in those early years. One could also truly argue how influential an art show can ever really be on the global stage of politics. But I would say as far as art shows go, this one was extremely influential on a global stage. 
And we don't have to go down this rabbit hole if you're not comfortable laying out the facts, but am I correct that I read somewhere that there was also talk of the CIA being involved somehow with Documenta? There are suspicions about that, and they have never been able to prove it, but they have never been able to fully disprove it because they've sought out to get the numbers from the American government about whether any funds were transferred and access has been denied. But I mean, <laughs> if there's nothing to hide. <laughs> why would you not share it? So yes, there's some speculation about that for sure. Knowing the history of the way that abstract art was sort of pushed by the CIA, which is something that we kind of know, it was also championed at Documenta in a very similar way. So whether there was money passing through hands is one thing, but there was definitely like ideas that were being promoted mutually. And was the idea that this was a sort of common cause of the promulgation of liberal values? Yeah. And of course, you know, just pushing back against communism, there wasn't a lot of figurative art in those early shows. And it was really about Western values with a capital W. Hmm. And so these days, I feel like Going to Documenta is for art people what going to Burning Man is for tech people. Like you constantly hear people asking about whether you've been and how it's just so amazing. And, you know, it is true that some editions have managed to really change the course of art history. So I wonder if you could tell us about a few of the most influential Documentas. It's true. It is such a talking point. And yet when you compare it to like going to a city like Castle versus going to a place like Venice... Amazing is quite a compliment because it's obviously this is just like a random city in Germany for the other five years. But yeah, it appears that every documenta with like very few exceptions has sort of been a conversation starter, as I said before. And part of that is that it's really like presented a challenge to the show itself and a challenge to the ones that have come before it. And this, I think, has especially been true for like the documenta 10 to 14, the past four ones. And so there's lots of influential ones that you could list, but I think that one major one was Documenta 5 in 1972, which was curated by the now famous late curator, Harold Seaman. And he took the reins after this had sort of been more or less controlled by the same people for four editions. So this was really like a moment where the show really became closer to what it is that we know now. And of course, it was hated and controversial and also given a cult status. It's a sort of like how this controversial documenta, as we know, it really started. It also went over budget. He was very heavily criticized for that. But it was really the first time where the show sort of moved into this sort of international art world conversation, showing international artists. Another major one was Documenta 10, which sort of ended the legacy of the white male curators that had like presided over it up until then. And it was curated by Catherine David, who's now the deputy director at the Pompidou in Paris. And she was the first non-German speaker and the first woman to curate Documenta. She started to include some omitted positions. And then the year after that, Okwi Emwitzor curated Documenta 11. And this, I think, was probably the most influential show that's ever been. It was like a clean break from everything that had come before it and really brought forward the post-colonial art exhibition. It also traveled beyond Castle, I think, for the first time. And there were these kinds of preambles in New Delhi and St. Lucia and Lagos. And so it was really like bringing the world to Castle in a new way. And of course, Documenta 14 really went and did that. I mean, people might argue how influential it was. I happen to think that it was hugely influential because the show went out of Castle for the first time during the exhibition. Adam Shimshek curated a second exhibition in Athens. So he basically doubled the exhibition in two countries. 
that was really about questioning what the show could actually achieve from its sort of safe haven in Castle, right? I mean, that very smoothly brings me into the next point of discussion, which is about all of the controversies that follow Documenta and spring up every time it comes to town. Speaking as an American where controversy around an art show generally stays very much within the art community. It's so interesting to look at Documenta because it becomes this flashpoint for much of Germany. The fact that politicians even care is shocking to me as an American. We'll talk about the controversy surrounding the upcoming edition in a bit, but first, what are a few of the other past controversies that have ignited around Documenta? A key difference between American exhibitions and European ones is that because they get funding from governments, then governments get to share their opinions Mm -hmm. about it. So as soon as you have taxpayers' money involved, which I happen to think is like a great model for supporting artists, but of course you do get public opinion in a very different way than you might in the States. So I think that's true for like a lot of shows here. But in terms of controversies, there's like almost like too many to list. And it seems like The shows have very rarely pleased everyone, especially, you know, the public and the taxpayers, so to speak. Starting with Documenta 14, since that was the last one, as we covered extensively at Artnet, that show ran over budget. So there's the content issues that people have, but this was really like a structural problem that rose up. They went like 8 million euros over budget and the show's backers is a non-profit company that is owned by the city of Kassel. And so they had to bail them out. And it became this huge media scandal. I think it broke right before the show was closing, like days before it was shutting. And it almost felt like it sort of undid everything great that had happened in the two exhibitions. And suddenly they had to answer for this 8 million euros that they had gone over. Some people argued that that anger was overblown because, you know, as I said before, like other shows went over budget. Actually, like most of them went over budget. So... It then folds back into this like content question. Like I think that Documenta, people have a lot of ownership over it because it is, you know, a publicly funded event. And so if it doesn't please them or it doesn't show the kind of art that they think is valuable, there's a lot of motivation maybe to like try to tear it down. In the case of Documenta 14, it also shows the sort of complexities that come with an art show that has sort of expressly political aims. The fact that this was staged both in Castle and in Athens during the Euro crisis. You know, there is this weird feeling of decentralization is important and bringing the show elsewhere in Europe, but also the optics of bringing this really expensive project to a nation that is on the verge of financial collapse and then going over budget. Like it is just this weird melding of things. When art also has this financial reality and you're dealing with financial realities on the ground, it's not surprising to me that that would arouse some tension. Yeah, it didn't look very good, even though part of the reason that they say they went over budget was because they didn't charge ticketing in Athens because they didn't want to make money off of the Greek public and stuff. There was something kind of strange about them kind of swooping in and creating this huge fancy show in the midst of a very desperate moment for Greek people. Also, that was on the backdrop of the Euro crisis and also the refugee crisis, right? Which has been going on for a long time, but hit a peak in 2015 with the refugee crisis from Syria. You know, that also played out at Documenta 2. Olu Ogwibwe had put up this obelisk as part of his artwork in Castle called A Monument for Strangers and Refugees, which was supposed to be eventually a permanent installation because Castle wanted to buy it. 
but the right-wing politicians couldn't stand the thing and they dismantled it and put it away and then they didn't know what to do with it. So now it's reinstalled a couple blocks over, but you can really see that in some ways the content of the exhibition does become a place where like a proxy conversation can be had for German political issues. Because that work was repeatedly vandalized by anti-immigration activists, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was quite brutal the way it went down. Like he won the prize for that sculpture and then the city offered to buy it, but then they couldn't agree on how much to pay for it. So they wanted to pay, I think like 600,000 at first. And then they kept lowering the price and just seeing how low he would go because the politicians just were saying it was basically worth nothing. And yeah, it just became this very uncomfortable situation. It was quite upsetting the way that they treated the artists in that situation. Let's rewind then now, because recently Documenta has looked back at its own history and uncovered some troubling information about its own ties to Nazi Germany. So can you tell us a little bit about what historians uncovered? As is always the sort of case, it seems, with Nazi issues in Germany, like if you just look, you're going to sort of find them. It keeps happening more and more these days and years. In Berlin, where I live, there was this major exhibition last year at the German History Museum that ended up bringing up a lot of information to light about the sort of Nazi ties with Documenta. First of all, I thought the show was like super fantastic. They sort of thematically looked at the history of Documenta in relation to East Germany and the way it sort of repudiated East German art and values. But then it also did look at the sort of national socialist influence that kind of continued after the end of the war. And something that really disconcerting that came to light as they were researching was that one of the key curators of the show for the first four years, alongside Arnold Boda, his name is Werner Haffmann, he was a Nazi, publicly. He was an art historian. He'd written this like hugely influential book at the time on 20th century art. And he was extremely influential in the way that Documenta was modeled and created as we know it today. But yeah, he was a Nazi um, during the war, and he kept silent about it after the war ended, like so many did. He was a member of the stormtroopers and the Nazi parties itself. And so I think they knew this going into the research of this major exhibition. But then what happened while they were researching the show is that an outside scholar, just before they were publishing the catalog, found that he was actually a wanted war criminal in Italy wow. for executing people. And this article that they had discovered in the Italian newspaper in 1946 called him the German hyena. This is like shocking. You know, you're thinking about this prestigious show that we've just been talking about. And then this person who's walking around, hanging all the paintings and, you know, moving things by an inch here or there and cheersing with all these important people and artists was like a wartime murderer. It's impossibly disturbing. He went on to become a big figure in the art world. He helped rebuild the Berlin Neue Nationalgalerie in Berlin, which is, you know, the big modern art museum here. He was art director there for 10 years. So what their research also found was that he also wasn't the only Nazi on the team. Actually, 10 of the 21 members of the first Documenta either had Nazi party affiliations or stormtrooper affiliations. There were six in the second one, 15 in the third one, and eight in the fourth Documenta, according to their counting that they shared in the catalog. So, hmm. yeah. I think what's particularly striking about the way that this played out was how the curation of the shows was affected by this. So Julia Voss, who curated that section about National Socialism and Documenta, she showed how Werner Haffmann actively excluded a specific type of Jewish artist. So while he did include Marc Chagall, who was Jewish and persecuted, other artists who either survived the concentration camps or were murdered in them were, by the suggestion of this research, like actively excluded from the first documenta. 
One hmm. of those artists was the painter Rudolf Levy, an absolutely incredible modern painter. And he was murdered on his way to Auschwitz just before the end of the war. And he was not included in the first documenta. And another artist, Otto Freundlich, who was also murdered in the Holocaust, you actually can see his name on one of the lists that they had on the show in this exhibition at the History Museum. And you can see his name like crossed off the list. I just think that it shows that though Documento tried to sort of present itself as this culturally liberal project of renewal, it actually had a very narrow and specific way of looking at the past and looking at the present. So this show in Berlin was really incredible and brought up a lot of evidence about this that I think really changes the way that we can all look at the past and the mm -hmm. legacy of the show. Well, and I think the point you made is an important one, which is it wasn't just that some of these artists just didn't happen to be included. It's that they were on initial lists and then were strategically removed. And that's what the research uncovered. Exactly. And maybe removed also because these people were trying to sort of hide their own biographies. Mm. You know, if you start asking questions, you'll start getting answers. And that's sort of what's been happening now more recently, which is a good thing. And so that leads me to the next question about this historical spelunking that they've done. I mean, does what you learned about the Nazi involvement and the Nazi ties in early Documenta, does that cause you to look any differently at its founding political mission? I think definitely. And I think that that's what's so great is that it sort of popped a bubble. And I think that whether subconsciously or consciously, there was an agenda and that in order to sort of achieve it, they were dodging some inconvenient truths about the reality of East German artists and other topics in the world. And of course, the reality of the Nazi past and also its continuity in Germany today. I think the show is still extremely important, but I think that it now deserves more scrutiny very clearly. And what was it that prompted Documenta to do this kind of historical soul-searching now? I think it's come up only in recent years and that there's been sort of a wider cultural shift in the academies. You know, the post-war generations are, like, as I said, asking a lot more questions and doing research in a way that wasn't done before. So I think it's sort of part of a larger generational movement at looking at, like, the Nazi past and present. Speaking of that, I mean, anti-Semitism has been... a uh point of discussion around this edition of the exhibition and the organizers are facing accusations of anti-Israel bias. Can you tell us a little bit about how this controversy began? Yeah, this first came up in January via a local blog in Kassel, which alleged that the political views of a few of the participants in Ruan Grupa's edition of Documenta were anti-Zionist, pro-Palestinian, and ultimately anti-Semitic. It's a long piece that goes into the history around Palestine and Israel's relations, and it was written by an anonymous author. But in short, it listed the question of funding, which is a Palestinian artist collective, and its artist member, Yazan Khalili, as well as a handful of other participants of this documenta, including Marwa Arsanios, Jumana Emil Aboud, and Yasmin Aid Sabag. And it called these three latter people out in relation to anti-Semitism based on individual open letters that they had each signed over the past years in relation to Israel-Palestine issues. At the core of the concern stated in this letter is these artists' presumed or stated positions on BDS, which is a pro-Palestinian movement that calls for boycotts, divestments, and sanctions of Israel. And BDS and Germany's position on it is really at the heart of the issue here, from what I understand. This letter on the Castle blog calls BDS an anti-Semitic movement and connects these artists and essentially the exhibition of Documenta this year and its organizers with anti-Semitism. 
This is an extremely serious claim anywhere, but especially here in Germany for obvious reasons. So whether BDS is anti-Semitic or not is something that people actually disagree on. But the German government passed a motion in 2019 that stated that it should not receive any funding, the movement, and that it was anti-Semitic. So suffice to say that this letter that was written really set off a media frenzy and a very intense discussion that is still ongoing around Documenta. And Ruan Grupa from the get-go explicitly denied and refuted the claims that there is any anti-Semitism coursing through their show. Just to make sure that I'm following, the figures who were identified as either aligned with or supported BDS and associated movements, are those the curators of the show or a selection of artists included in the show? I think it's one of the curators, according to like a letter that they signed, Ruan Grupa, according to some statements that they had made. And then some of the artists that were invited, including the question of funding this Palestinian collective. So the article is extremely long and it would take too much time today to like go into the individual kind of accusations made against all of these people, but it listed several of them and their different kinds of positions that they may or may not have have stated. Yeah. So this was in January. And of course, it's really like set off this conversation that's very much been going on here. As I said, you know, it's, it felt like right away, the major media outlets took different positions on it. Like Monopole, which is like a art publication here, defended Ruan Grupa's perspective and its right to artistic expression. And then some more conservative and bigger papers had different takes. It's become extremely tense right away. And some of Germany's political leaders were also drawn in. Can you explain what their involvement was and what the status is of this whole controversy now? Yeah. I mean, for a show as important as Documenta and also with an allegation as serious as anti-Semitism, officials were drawn in. A German national paper just after that letter that I just spoke about came out called upon Culture Minister Claudia Roth to pull a quote-unquote emergency break on Documenta 15. She responded in some interviews. She defended Documenta and Ruan Grupa, saying that freedom of expression must also be in the balance. What's important to know that is also in the backdrop here is that when that 2019 motion was passed in Parliament, the cultural minister now, who she was not then, actually voted not in favor of it. So she has also sort of been drawn into this due to longer standing issues with her position on BDS. In response to the allegations, Ruan Grupa and Documenta decided that they should organize a talk that was supposed to take all these concerns into consideration. There was to be three talks, actually. So one would be on anti-Semitism in Germany, one on anti-Semitism and post-colonialism, and then one on anti-Muslim and anti-Palestinian racism. This proved to be untenable to bring this panel together in this way. What happened exactly was that Once the speakers and the panel topics were released, a letter soon after was leaked to the media. This letter was sent from the president of the Central Council of Jews in Germany to Claudia Holt. And in this letter, which was quoted in parts in German media, he expressed concerns about the fact that Documenta didn't consult with the Central Council about the panelists, and also alleged that there was a bias in the talks, listing some of the speakers, and also the third panel in particular, the one about anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim racism. So when this broke, some of the participants who were scheduled to speak became concerned or uncomfortable and pulled out, from what we understand. We don't know who in specific or exactly the timeline there, but the talks were ultimately cancelled by Documenta, and Ruan Grupa said that they would let the show 
speak for itself. After the cancellation of these talks, Ruan Grupa then published a widely circulated letter in Eflux called A Scandal About a Rumor. And in this letter, they address the accusations that have been made against them and some of their members more in depth. They called them bad faith attempts to delegitimize artists and preventatively censor them on the basis of their ethnic heritage and presumed political positions. The conversation is still ongoing, of course, but alongside this discussion, something else has been happening that is greatly concerning. The Ruru House, which is one of the venues for the exhibition, it was defaced with anti-Islam stickers last month. And just over the weekend, last weekend, there was further vandalism of another venue, the venue in which the question of funding the Palestinian collective that was mentioned in the letter as being anti-Semitic, their exhibition venue was defaced with extreme right-wing anti-Muslim graffiti and some tagging that could be interpreted as a murder threat. So this is obviously greatly concerning and the situation is clearly escalating and not de-escalating ahead of the show's opening. So in terms of just the chronology, there's so many interlocking strings to unknot, but the Central Council for the Jews leader wrote a letter to the German culture minister expressing concern about the talks program. She said it should move forward, but the fact that this exchange even happened spooked some people who were set to speak. That's what it seems like. That's my understanding of it. Of course, these panelists, most of them have not spoken to the public and we don't know like who sat out first of those that were going to participate. But this is what has become clear to me from some sources that I talked to. To back up a tiny bit, I wonder if you could, you've talked about it a little bit, but just give us a little bit of context about this particular kind of flare up in the context of the broader discussion about Germany's history and the reevaluation of Germany's history and anti-Semitism in Germany today, because it does seem like so much of the tension here connects to broader issues that are going on in Germany right now. Well, as we talked about earlier, Germany's still grappling with the long shadow of its Nazi history and the continuity of that. There were serious issues here, of course, with anti-Semitism ongoing in the country, and Germany has a very pronounced responsibility in dealing with this head-on for obvious reasons. At the same time, there is, whether one agrees to equate these issues or not, there is rising anti-Muslim racism that exists here too, and which needs to be addressed more seriously. Just two years ago, there was a horrific right-wing attack in Hanau at a bar where more than 10 people were killed, and it was motivated by hatred towards migrants, to name one example of just how extreme this is. In tandem with that, the extreme right in Germany, which poses a threat to all minorities if you want to use that term, has been more visible in recent years. And the main political party of the far right, the AfD, one of its main figures said that Germany should stop atoning for Nazi war crimes. This is also a party that has been toting strong anti-immigrant positions. So does discussing one dilute the other? This seems to be a question that people involved in this discussion disagree on the answer to. But yeah, these accusations of anti-Semitism made against these artists at Documenta, who, you know, if we put the BDS discussion to the side, are from a certain part of the world, and these racist attacks against Documenta venues and the very valid concern about any instance of anti-Semitism, I mean, it is all occurring against a very concerning political backdrop in wider society. You're going to go to Documenta, you're going to see the show. I'm wondering how you think this narrative and context is going to impact the show itself or the way it's received. On one hand, having heard you sort of talk about 
the complexities and the scrutiny, I can imagine that there are going to be people who are kind of going through this show with a microscope looking for evidence that supports their view that the show is anti-Semitic or it's not anti-Semitic one way or another. And that's basically the only lens through which they'll see what's presented. I expect it will very much affect how people will walk into this show and whether some people will go at all. Though one may indeed find that understandable, it could also be seen as quite unfortunate too, because there are more than 50 other artist collectives from around the world participating in Document of 15, and they each address different issues, urgent topics, and ways of working. So, you know, I do wonder if this debate will eclipse these voices a bit of these other artists or affect alternative interpretations of the exhibition, which is indeed operating on multiple axes. And so far, that's been shown, like there's been little to no discussion, one might say, or interest in these other artists and different practices that are coming. Very few artist profiles and collective profiles and things like that. I fear also that these two instances of vandalism will not be the only ones. I think that there is a legitimate concern to be had about the safety of artists and the safety of the artworks. There have been issues with racist violence in Castle before, and so I think that the administration behind Documenta has to really work extremely hard to make sure that all of the artists and the public are safe and welcomed, not just at the opening, but throughout the show, throughout its entire 100 days. You know, you could certainly say that any major biennial or international art show is political because it's meant to build economic power and political influence and soft power for whatever city or country is hosting it. But, you know, as we've discussed, Documenta definitely goes a step further because its founding principle involves trying to solve political problems through art. And so I wonder, you know, having done this sort of dive and tour through Documenta's own history, do you think that's even possible? I mean, solving is one thing, but at least addressing them and really facing them head on, certainly. I think that art and artists can really be a fire starter or a catalyst for change and conversation. And I feel confident about that. And I feel that even though this has taken such a concerning turn, it shows just how urgent the sort of cultural field can be in finding a language for really difficult subjects. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kate. I can't wait to hear about your trip to Castle and what you see. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Caroline Goldstein, and Tim Schneider. Thanks for listening. See you next week.